This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue, opening the minds to the public, to what takes place in reality, as opposed to what you think takes place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Justice Tech Pros Podcast. Here's your host, Dominic Crea. Greetings, listeners. Hope everybody's doing well. It's been a little while since I put out the last podcast, so I wanted to get one out. A couple of things I wanted to touch on. Nothing really groundbreaking, just a few things that I made notation of that I wanted to kick around and discuss. A couple of articles I came across and topics. I want to start out with uh, a topic that I, I spoke about a few times in the past, but I just see a... Uh, change taking place uh, and a new theme being rolled out which I find amusing when you listen uh, for those who haven't heard prior podcasts uh, the big thing nowadays is whereas past informants or current informants are taking to the airwaves to create podcasts and to put out uh, content, I guess, based on tall tales and based on their stories and based on who they supposedly were. And uh, that's really the big thing. It's all over like YouTube and the different platforms. We have these informant podcasts and I guess they're trying to get famous from it and have a payday and create a generate some income from it. But what I found amusing is now when it all first began, it was more of just constant bragging sessions where they would tell their stories and try to captivate the audience based on who they see themselves to be. And now, I guess, the public was getting wise to that and saw that these things were just really a format being used to impress the audience. And now they're switching gears a little bit, and it seems as though it's changing to a theme of, oh, we're here to help people. And I find that... (laughs) I find that kind of funny. They're claiming to help people by by talking on a podcast. And they're claiming to help, like, uh, unfortunately, individuals who may have an addiction problem or things of that matter. And they're trying to make these claims that what they're talking about is going to somehow help someone who has an addiction problem. And I find that amusing because when you really... And, it, and it's a little bit of dismissive based on those who really are in the tre- trenches and really are helping individuals who need the help. So I've, uh, it's it's ironic that they're trying to say by speaking on a podcast, they're doing something so groundbreaking that's going to help somebody who needs hands-on help and hands-on assistance. So rather than being in the trenches, working with people, working with those with an issue, they're going to go on a podcast, say a few sentences, and then claim that it's all about helping people, helping kids, Uh, Stay away from trouble, helping somebody who may have an addiction problem. And when you think about it, it it really makes no sense. I mean, 
if that's the claim that you're trying to help somebody, then help somebody. Get out there, start an organization, work hand in hand with somebody and make a difference. Don't paint it something it's not. Don't try to act like you're on this podcast and what you're talking about is changing lives because it's not. It's entertainment. That's all you're really doing. You're entertaining people. And I guess it got a little old that all of these episodes just happened. It exposed what the real agenda was, where it would be bragging, where it would be trying to impress somebody. So they they must have had a brainstorming session and switched gears. And now the common theme is to help people, help kids, uh, deter kids from choosing a bad life and whatnot. And to me, it's comical. When you really listen to it, and the general public is not stupid, if they listen to it and they understand the words being spoken and the stories being told, it has nothing to do with helping anybody. It's about glorification. Trying to glorify, trying to get pats on the back, trying to show what kind of individual you wish you were or what you pretend to be to get accolades and positive comments. And and they do. They'll get the people you know, commenting, which... Is another story, but people will comment how great they are and this and that. And, that, and that's all it's about. It's not about helping anybody. It's not about uh, being side by side with somebody and trying to have them turn their life around and trying to give them the support they need. That's not it at all. At all. And, I, and I just find it very amusing that that's what it's trying to be converted into now. But I think for the majority... Some people buy into it, but for the majority, people see right through it. They see exactly what it's about. And in one breath, which is really troubling, in one breath, they'll be talking about helping somebody, and then they'll devote three or four episodes to bashing someone, whether it's um, somebody they used to know, or a girlfriend, or a wife, whatever it may be, somebody you know that they didn't have a, a good relationship with. Prior to becoming an informant, they use that platform to actually bash the person. I mean, I, I've heard episodes, again, having a firm, a litigation support firm, and working on different cases, we have to listen to these episodes. And as painstaking as that is just to hear these ridiculous conversations, we have to listen to them, we have to go through them, and we have to pull out what is, is helpful to our to our client. When you start listening and you see common themes of bashing somebody or ripping somebody up or blaming somebody or even giving dirt on somebody, talking about women and maybe somebody, you know, I was listening to one where there was maybe four or five episodes about an ex-girlfriend and trying to really throw this person under the bus talking about their habits and who they may have dated and whether or not they cheated and it boggles my mind because if that's not slander and defamation, I, I don't know what is. Imagine I came on here and I started pulling apart things that I knew personally about people. And first of all, it's not my character. I don't operate that way. But let's say, let's say it was and I was that type of individual, creepy individual like that, who decided to use public space to bash somebody. I have no doubt I'd be getting served with papers immediately about that, a cease and desist. And they're allowed to do that. And why are they allowed to do that? Uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. They're allowed to do that because they're protected in a lot of ways. They're protected by the government. They're protected by their handlers. So they have no accountability. They could say what they want, free reign at other people's expense. Even talking about friends, bashing friends, 
making fun of friends, having talking about having T-shirts made with somebody's uh, uh, picture on it, or the likes, I should say, the likes of somebody on it. It's pure insanity, and it's being allowed. And I just hope that jurors, that maybe jurors will actually come across these supposed informants who are really just nothing more than uh, tale tellers, uh, tall tale tellers at that, and exaggerators. And I hope they come across that, and I hope they see what is going on, and they're serving on a trial where this person's in front of them, and they happen to listen to a few of the episodes. It will give them a, a totally different perspective. And if that doesn't happen, if the defense attorney's uh, strategy is intact, they should play a lot of these episodes, and they should show the common theme of bashing and abusing people who have no way of defending themselves. How's somebody going to defend themselves? They're going to they're going to try to call into these podcasts and defend themselves? How do you think that's going to go? They'll call in and then it'll get reversed. The informant will say, oh, I felt threatened because they called in. You know, they, they have the best of both worlds. They could say what they want without having to be accountable for it and without having to confront it. They talk a good game, like I'll confront it, I'll talk to anybody, but as I've said in the past, that's easy to do when you have an army behind you protecting you. That's easy to do. But to go on there just because you can, because you have no boundaries and you have no moral compass that tells you maybe I shouldn't be doing those things, maybe I shouldn't be bashing somebody who doesn't have the ability to defend themselves. And, and to be honest, if, if things were different and things couldn't get twisted, I would love to debate every one of these individuals. I would love to go back and point out to them the hypocrisy of what they're doing and 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 hit them with what I think about their morals and their character and stories and whatnot. That that would be very interesting. I would love that opportunity. But again, if I did that that'd be that'd be a big problem. Whether it would be I'm coming across as intimidating a witness or an informant. I know there'd be some kind of problem to it. So you have to just kind of stay silent. But when you hear that go on, and I don't even know the people that's being referenced. It's just frustrating as an individual when you deal with defendants and you see what's said about them. And now there's a whole new arena of how people could get bashed. And a lot of time they are defendants. A lot of times there's somebody who's, you know, away. Maybe it's the person that they put away, that they informed on and told stories about, that's now away and away from their family. And the family has to listen to these things. And imagine the tides will turn. Imagine a podcast, one of the family members, let's just say, of somebody they were ripping apart, started a podcast, and in turn started ripping them up and ripping their family up. How do you think that's going to work out? We all know how that would work out. And it just goes on, goes on every day without any type of repercussions for it, just free reign. And it's it's completely ridiculous. It's it really is something to think about, especially for the public. You need to think about that if you were in that situation, and you have somebody on there every day bashing you, talking about you, making fun of you, doing polls. I see they did like polls about. I don't even know what they were. I I can't relate to that moronic behavior but I saw a lot of different things that and I get a lot of things emailed to me as well to bring uh, my firm's attention to certain individuals who may take a part in uh, a client that we're representing you know and it's it's hard to just stay silent when you see that again 
directly really has nothing to do with me. But when you see these things play out and being part of a family and you could relate to a lot of these things and how you would feel if you see them taking place, it's just something else to have to sit there. I can't imagine the families or even the individuals sit there and just constantly be talked about, written about, they write about them, they have blogs about them, and it's nonstop and they just rip them up. And I can't wrap my head around how those things are allowed. Just can't wrap my head around it. How you could just write stories about people time and again, and that's okay, that's acceptable. You put that out there. Especially in society today, I mean, it seems like people get offended by a lot of things today. So I I don't know how that's not an issue, how that's acceptable, and how there isn't a problem. And and it leads me to believe a lot of people just don't care. You know, they're fascinated with the whole genre of these uh, informants and of these podcasts. They're fascinated with that. So being they're fascinated with it, all bets are off. And they're allowed to do these things and use public outlets and use platforms as a source of... It almost seems like as a source of venting their bitterness. They're bitter and they're angry and they're whatever, jealous, upset, whatever it may be. If they're talking about an ex, maybe they're jealous and they're upset. And this is their way of getting back at them. It's really insane in a lot of ways. And the the positive part of it is all of that's out there. So when and if the time comes, a solid defense team will be able to utilize all that. You transcribe all that, you utilize all that, and you help those that are the subject of ridicule and those are that are getting repeatedly bashed and repeatedly talked about, not in a flattering way either. So that's the only positive. I guess there is a silver lining in that respect. It's just got to be used the right way and it's got to be exposed properly. And you got to educate the juror on what was going on behind the scenes because a lot of jurors aren't going to be aware of that. You know, these podcasts, they only have a certain audience. And a lot of these audience members are fanboys and fangirls. They're just fascinated with that genre. A lot of these podcasts are informants of uh, organized crime cases and things like that. So, you know, they have those super fans. And that's a, it's a small little isolated circle that just live for that kind of nonsense. So it's important when a trial comes that these things are utilized. You have to take those tools and utilize them and you and show exactly what they were all about and what their agenda was. But being it's allowed to just be out there and just constantly belittling somebody, targeting somebody, talking about somebody, I don't know. I don't know how those things are allowed. As I said, I know if I did that, it'd be a whole different ballgame. There'd be injunctions left and right. But for some reason, that doesn't take place, and it doesn't take uh, an intelligent person to realize why. Why there's nothing to worry about, because it's allowed. The government allows it, they prevent anybody from stopping it, and they give them free reign. So that's all I really wanted to talk about on that subject. I could go on and on, trust me. I could really rip that apart, and and I could analyze that, because that's a topic in and of itself that could probably eat up a whole episode Especially when you get into the psychology aspect, when you see that part of it and you hear drips and drabs, you could really start to, a clinician would have a field day. They'd be able to analyze each of these individuals, who's delusional, who's got all kind of uh, disorders. I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot of labels that I could put 
and I'm not a, a certified clinician. I study, I study the arena. I'm pretty well versed with psychology, so I have a good foundation for it. But somebody much more qualified than myself would be able to really narrow it down. And, and those are things that could definitely be used for any defense. Those are things that have to be explored if the time comes and you're faced with a few of these informants. You really have to dive into that. You have to get a specialist. You have to get a psycho psychologist, psychiatrist to really dive into that because there's a lot there. Uh, these, just from what I see, these individuals are, are not clearly, they have certain things going on. And when you dive in, you'll really be able to, you have somebody with the ability and the credibility and the credentials to really dive in and explore that. And you'll make a lot of headway when you do that. There's another thing I wanted to touch on. It was an article based on an article I had um, come across. It was in Vice, Vice.com. And it was talking about how within certain facilities in the BOP, I'm not sure if it's on a state level. I think it's just on the BOP level. There's um, a company out of Florida called Smart Communications. And what happens is when somebody writes their loved one a letter, it goes through this facility, this Smart Communications. They're located in Florida. And Smart Communication then scans it and sends it over to the, the person who's receiving their mail, the inmate who's receiving their mail. And what I was, what I was reading was quite disturbing because it appears now once somebody sends an individual letter, an inmate a letter where whereas this organization is designated to field the mail, they're based out of Florida. They scan it and they send it over, but they keep almost like a profile on the person sending the mail. And I don't know how that's not some kind of violation of rights. You're just trying to mail someone a letter you're trying to correspond with somebody and now you're subject to being to have a file made of you from this company this smart communications company and they were saying they get some detailed information they'll get their email they get their address uh, phone numbers things like that and they put it into some kind of database and I, I just don't know I mean you know, you, you kind of feel for the loved ones who have to deal with that. You're just trying to stay in touch with somebody, and now you're subject to where your information is being housed. And today, with all of the issues with stealing identity, I don't know how they can house something like that. Here's another, another server, a, another area that people have to be concerned about, that if it gets hacked, now all of your data could be compromised. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me because just from writing a letter, you're subjected to a possibility of having your data taken, your information taken, all because you corresponded with a loved one or a friend, somebody you care about, a client even, who knows, that may be in prison and their mail is sorted and identified from this organization. That's not really something that is comforting. You really don't. If I didn't see this article, I wouldn't have been aware of it. You, you write somebody a letter. You don't want to have. You don't really want to have to worry that that letter opens you up to have your identity st stolen, or to have your information housed by some company that you have no idea who they are. 
and I don't know how, how deep they go, but it seems like some of the information they gather on the person sending sending the mail is pretty detailed. They're, they're talking about addresses, phone numbers, email addresses. I don't know if they get birth dates based on searching and putting it all together. A lot of the information compiled could be used to steal identity and to open somebody up to having problems where they have to deal with that. And this goes on in this country, and I don't get it. I don't get how anyone, any member of the public would be subjected to that when they're simply trying to correspond with somebody via mail. It doesn't make any sense to me, and these things go on. And I, I wish it was a bigger story. I know Vice is it's pretty popular, I guess, but it's not popular enough. None of the major outlets really picked up on it because individuals should be aware of that. There should be something to, to stop that. I don't think somebody's data should be housed by some company. I don't know what their securities they have in place. What are they using to protect that information? What kind of systems do they have in place? What kind of technology do they have to prevent being hacked? And as we know, regardless of how powerful the technology is, if a hacker targets a certain operation or a certain firm, they're going to get in. They get into NASA. They get into wherever they want to get into. So it's... It's quite concerning when I read that, just from sending a letter, all of a sudden you're open to this. And even for children, a lot of children send their, their loved ones letters. And now their information is going to be housed and their information is going to be collected. I'm not comfortable with that. I, I don't think any, any person should really be comfortable with that. And it has zero to do with... If you're not doing, you know, that's pe that's the saying that happens a lot with people. They'll say, well, if you're not doing no nothing wrong, what do you got to worry about? And that's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. It's irrelevant whether you're not doing anything wrong, whether you're a law-abiding citizen. It's irrelevant. You have to look at the bigger picture. It's almost like the topic of sociology. You know, when you, when you study sociology, you look at how an individual action or an individual habit could relate to the population, could relate to society. So although you may not be concerned with it on an individual basis, does not mean that it's not a bigger issue, that it isn't something that should be a topic of interest and something to be concerned about because of the widespread potential it could have. And that's what this is. It's a matter of just a widespread potential. Collecting all that information from children, from family members, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that, and I don't think anybody would be comfortable with that. And they also have the ability to approve and reject letters, which I guess I could understand in some sense if I would want to see what's being rejected. They gave a snapshot, as an example in the article, of a letter from a child being rejected. So I, I don't know what that was about, but... That's, I guess, the least of it being approved and rejected because they would justify it some way that maybe there was some kind of message. The other thing I didn't like is it eliminates... It, they're black and white scans. So if you want to send pictures of children or animals, I don't know, whatever, any kind of picture you want to send to somebody to offer some emotional support, to lift them up a little bit, it's a scanned black and white copy. They don't get the actual photograph. Now, okay, you don't want to give the, the actual photograph and you, you want to justify it somehow. I don't know. Maybe there's a way of people could uh, send send things in that shouldn't be sent in. So, all right, I understand that. But you can't at least scan it in color, give them it in color, 
and I'm sure it all has to do with cost because a color printer per page is obviously more than black and white. But I, I don't know. It's just it really it makes it harder and harder. They do these things that they don't only impact the inmate, they impact the loved ones, they impact everybody that is suffering due to the experience. And and now they're even going down the road the route where your personal information is being jeopardized. And the potential of having your identity in question is now opened at another source. As if we didn't have enough to worry about today with all the stolen identity stuff between the phishing scams sent through the email, between the phone calls. There's so many scams. You see it all the time. And now here's another outlet that houses your information. And if they get hacked, people are going to have a problem. I wouldn't be surprised in a matter of time if everybody who uh, corresponded with an inmate gets a letter we're sorry to inform you, but our database was hacked and potential for the, for exposure exists as your information was part of our uh, collection of personnel that housed was housed within the, the server. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. It's going to probably only be a matter of time. And part of the article makes a valid point. They talk about how, you know, you have an average citizen who now gets caught up in surveillance. Why would an average citizen who never did anything, may have not done anything wrong, or whether they did do something wrong, it's irrelevant because this is a separate situation. Why would they have to be subjected to that? Why would they have to? Even, why would that even be an option? I think the public needs to really take a look at that. And I'll put a link to it, but it's on Vice, and you could just look it up. It's you just use words like you know, mail, uh, inmate mail, and Vice, and it will come up. But it's a much bigger issue than you initially would think about when you first hear it. You're like, okay, they monitor it, not a big deal. But when you think about how they're collecting everything and housing everything, there's a lot more to it, and it and it's more concerning than even myself initially thought when I read it. But the more you dive into it, you could see how it could be a potentially major issue and, and the public should be aware of it and should take notice to it and possibly try to do something about it. Another article I wanted to talk about in topic was I saw in New York now that um, prosecutors were asking uh, the Democrats to get rid of a bill and not to bore everybody and read the article or read the bill. Basically, the bill would revive it's a special investigatory Commission, and they're tasked with reviewing complaints of misconduct, which are made against district attorneys and their assistants. And the prosecutors in New York are fighting that, and they're telling them to scrap that bill. I don't really need to 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 understand anything more than that. I'm sure they're going to go into detail and try to rationalize it and whatnot. But when you think about it on the surface. They can always try to rationalize and make an excuse of why they don't want the bill, and you know they're not going to say, oh, we just don't want them investigating misconduct. They'll try to come up with something to justify it. But when you look at it at its surface, that should be a no-brainer. There should, that should already be in place to, to make sure somebody's doing their job ethically and following the guidelines put in place. And if they're not, there should be a board to review that. Many licensing individuals have a board. Uh, there's a lot of ethics committees in various industries, insurance, law, I mean, ac across the board. The criminal defense attorneys have to worry about that. 
P&I attorneys have to worry about that. They have an ethical board. They have to worry about being reviewed. They can't do things that show misconduct. And this isn't saying, all this is saying is really having a board to oversee it, just to review the claims and the cases. So I don't know how there could be any pushback over that. It's really something else. So, you know, they're based, in other words, they're saying, well, we just want free reign. We want, we want to do what we want. If we uh, exhibit misconduct, so be it. That's insanity. Imagine defense attorneys doing that, doing whatever they want, not having to worry about any misconduct. There would be chaos. It wouldn't happen in the first place, but there would be chaos. If they pushed back, it'd be chaos. They would have that line that I said earlier. Well, if you're not doing nothing wrong, what do you got to worry about? Well, how about using that on the prosecutors? If you guys aren't doing anything wrong, why are you pushing back? What's the big deal? Don't worry about it. There's nothing to worry about. You're not doing nothing wrong, right? So let the committee, let there be a committee put in place. Last podcast, I talked about um, a district attorney that implemented that in his state. I, I forgot the state off the top of my head, but he actually implemented that within his own office. Any Where he felt any claims of misconduct or wrongful convictions, he designated a team to review that, which is commendable. Here we have the state trying to push that through. Hopefully it gets pushed through because I don't understand why it wouldn't. Just trying to have a commission that could oversee wrongdoings and potential misconduct makes sense, doesn't it? Even for the average citizen, wouldn't the average citizen want to make sure those in power have an oversight committee to make sure they're doing things properly and following guidelines and following following rules and regulations? When you see the pushback, that should tell everybody a lot right there. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't in one breath with other situations say, well, if you're not guilty. What do you got to worry about? It's kind of like when they, the, the famous turn when somebody gets indicted. Well, if he's innocent, he'll prove himself. He'll prove it. So he has nothing to worry about. You can't have it both ways. You can't use that statement and then say, well, we don't want an oversight committee looking at us and making sure uh, there's no misconduct out of this office. Very hypocritical. And you see that a lot. You see... You want to use it in one respect, but you don't want to use it in the other respect based on who it's good for and who it's bad for. And unfortunately, a lot of the times, if it's bad for the defendant or against the defendant or against the human rights aspect of it, there's no problems getting these things passed. But if it affects somebody in power, government official, then everything gets very muddy and then there's a lot of pushback and there's a lot of delay. Seems to be the common theme. So I wanted to bring that article to the audience's attention. Again, I'll, I'll probably put the link. You can look it up. It's a district attorney pushback on proposed prosecutorial misconduct panel, and that's in New York. And it's just an interesting thing to be aware of. It's an interesting thing all around to be aware of for the general public and for potential jurors and just for the listeners. The last thing I want to close on, I've spoke about briefly in the past, and it has to do with a lot of these forums. And Reddit, I didn't realize, is a big forum for organized crime topics and things of that nature. I knew I was well aware of Reddit. I used it for other items for, uh, that I was researching. But they have these, uh, I call them forum fools. 
It's people who go on these forums and all they do is bash the topic that they're they're fascinated with this topic. They'll be on every organized crime and every group's forum, group, whatever you want to call it. They'll be on every one and just bashing everything about it. Which is another topic, I guess. I find that crazy. If you don't like something, I don't even know why you're part of it. But uh, whatever. And I'm not saying whether to like it or not like it. That's irrelevant. What I'm saying is... If you have such disdain and all you're doing is going on there saying everybody should be in jail, everybody should be away, all these people are terrible, that's fine. You're entitled to that. I'm not arguing that. That's your opinion. What I don't understand is why are you interacting there then? You have some kind of sick obsession. And you got to read some of the comments from some of these people, especially on Reddit. But the point of why I bring that up, what's, what is disturbing is that's the general public. And I've seen things... And that's your jury panel. That's what they try to say is a jury of your peers. And when you see the information and the comments that come out of the mouths, or come out of the fingers, I should say, of some of these individuals, I tell you, I don't know how anybody would want to go to trial when you hear how they judge. They don't even read the facts. They have people guilty. They'll see things where... um, New information, let's say, comes to light, and somebody's open for a new trial. And I spoke about it. I I posted uh, about it. I think I posted about it on my Facebook. I shared the article where one of the cases I'm working on and very close to home has to do with my father, where there's potential for uh, just items we're putting in. Just I'll say that. Just items we're putting in and new information fighting on the appeal level. When they read things like that, right away they look to knock it, oh, who cares, they should all stay in jail, you know, all all the nasty, arrogant, ignorant statements. And that's fine, that's society, I get that, that's certain people, I shouldn't say that's all, that's society, that's certain people within our society, they're just very ignorant, Uh, they lack the intelligence to understand it's a bigger picture. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier and the sociology aspect of it. Okay, it may affect one individual, a couple individuals, but if you're open-minded and you have the foresight to understand on a larger scale the impact that could have on society, that's an issue that you need to take notice of. If there was a fracture in the law, if procedural errors took place, somebody's entitled to a new trial, You have to understand that. You have to grasp that. You can't gloss over it because you have some kind of personal vendetta against somebody. I mean, that's the law. You can't pick and choose what parts of the law you want based on who it works for. Trust me, there's a lot of individuals, they do things, heinous acts, where I read about it and I don't care what happens to them. But if I look at it logically, you have to respect the law. The law has to play out a certain way. They have to go through the affair due process. They have to have those things play out. If they don't, the whole thing collapses. And then, who knows, one day you'll be faced with it. I'm sure you're going to want it to go in your favor, or a loved one's going to be faced with it. You're going to want it. I don't mean go in your favor. What I mean by that is you're going to want it just to play out the way the rules of the Constitution had implied for and how what they were set for and how they were intended to play out that's what I mean you just want it to play out properly and if errors took place and somebody's entitled to a new trial 
or or uh, appeal is stronger because of evidence that takes place when you have members of the public just saying oh I don't care who cares if this took place who cares if there was errors that's dangerous comments and that's the jury pool in some sections some parts of the country that's the jury pool that's somebody who's going to be on the jury and now let's be honest do you think that person when they're being interviewed to potentially serve as a juror do you think they're going to share those thoughts of course not but that's who they are on the inside and I swear I would love to give all these user names of these reddit users and these different forum users so possibly defense attorneys could make notations of all these user names and make sure that's not who they're getting on the jury panel because you see some of these comments and that's definitely not somebody you want serving on the jury that's somebody who has no idea how the justice system works and they judge it based on internal bias and internal beliefs they don't judge it based on the law and you don't want your client faced with that individual and that happens so many times whether it's somebody who has a bias or they're discriminating against an individual because of their color because of their nationality because of the label they have because of what they're being accused of that's dangerous territory and the theme of all my podcasts always go back to the strength of the jury the jury has the power to undo a lot of wrongdoings that take place during the process but if this is the type of juror that is serving there's big problems you'll never get a fair trial they're going to do what they want to do they're that close-minded when they're sitting in their on their computer and they're reading stuff and they have time to digest it if they're that close-minded on that level imagine how they'll be in a courtroom spur of the moment with 11 other members of the panel serving with them you know how close-minded they're going to be they're not going to be listening to anything they're going to have their mind made up when that defendant walks into the courtroom based on how they see the person or how they perceive the events. And when you see these comments being made, that would be the first thing I would do as a defense attorney. I would make each juror give me their usernames. I'd ask them if they were members of any of these forums, if they were part of these groups, and I'd want their usernames. And I'd look them up and then present that you can't serve on the jury if this is how you feel and how you believe. Because it's dangerous. They could hide the true side of them and then they go on these forums and they go on Reddit and they they spew their nonsense. Ignorant nonsense. You'll show them facts. You'll show them what took place. They just don't care. Why don't they care? Because it's not about justice. It's about vendettas and it's about personal beliefs. And that's not how the system works. Sorry to tell these ignorant people, but that's not how it works. It plays out that way because society allows it in some respects. The vetting of jurors isn't strong enough. The education of jurors isn't strong enough. The ability of a juror isn't strong enough. So you have all of those elements, and if you have a prosecutorial team that want to do things their way and not and bend the law and not do them up to par, and then you combine that with a jury pool made up of individuals like the ones in these forums and on these Reddit groups. I don't have to tell you what kind of recipe that is. That's a guaranteed conviction. That's all that is. Without even weighing evidence, without weighing the charges, without comparing this individual in front of me, how do the charges affect their guilt level 
based on these charges. Not based on their supposed label, not based on what they've done in the past, based on the current charges in front of me, how does the evidence compare to their guilt or innocence? And they're not going to weigh that. You can tell by the way they talk and by the way they interact. They're just not going to weigh that. It's a big problem. And you want to go in there, you see these comments, you want to go in there. Me, I'm the type I like to confront things. So I really like to go head on, confront it. I don't care if you agree, disagree, but I'm going to tell you how I feel. And I'm going to tell you how you're being ignorant. And I'm going to tell you how there is sides and you can't always look at your own side. When it comes to topics, you, you, it's very easy to only look at the way you're doing things and be fine with that. can't do that. You have to be open-minded. I'm not saying you have to agree with different sides, but you have to understand them. You have to understand the logic behind it. You have to understand how to apply it to the law. And when you don't do that, you're just an ignorant person who's not too bright. And you would think that person should never be on a jury deciding somebody's fate, deciding their life, but that's not how it plays out. And trust me, don't take my word for it. Go on a lot of these forums. Go on a lot of these groups. Watch how these people talk. It, it's, it's frightening to see the level of, the lack of intelligence. And the lack of, try, of trying to put personal views on hold and understanding the whole picture. Understanding how the law works. Infractions in the law when something is misrepresented and how it affects different cases. It's amazing the way people think and spew out their arguments without taking all these things into account. And then in one breath they want to talk about how intelligent they are and how they end it's it's ridiculous. But that's really it for today. Just a couple items. Wanted to kick around. Till next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros Podcast with Dominic Crea. One of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we'll be back soon. Until then, find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Justice Tech Pros. To email the show with questions and comments, it's podcast at justicetechpros.com. Till next time, this is Justice Tech Pros Podcast and Dominic Crea signing off.